I want you to uh, just think for a minute to maybe a time when you've been to a party and there's a bunch of people milling around and you're talking to a variety of different people. And have you ever had one of those experiences where you find yourself talking to someone and they're just standing too close? You ever been there? And what do you do naturally? Back up. <laughs> there's been times when I have done this and then the person will still come forward. You ever had that happen? <laughs> so sometimes I've backed up and like kept my foot there, you know, so they can't quite come there. And then on the other hand, maybe you've been on the other side of that equation where someone's kind of standing far away and you feel like you're not even quite sure you can hear each other or you're not sure if they're interested. And so you find yourself moving closer and trying to uh, engage with them. And have you ever had them back up on you? where you're kind of going, hmm, maybe, maybe they don't want to get to know me or maybe they don't want to spend time. You're not quite sure what to make of that. Maybe it's just all kind of subconscious and you don't think about it. Well, um, in the same way that we have these, these physical boundaries that we have, where we have this kind of comfort range of, um, okay, this, you get inside this circle and that's too close, you get outside the circle and that's too far away and I've got this comfort zone, okay? And in that comfort zone, some people's comfort zone is like this narrow where it's like, oh, come close. Oh, no, get away. Oh, come close. No, oh, you know, I want to be clean. Oh, and you get a little bit of this message. So we all can do some degree of that, but some people have a much wider comfort zone of where they can uh, move and flow between closeness and distance in a relationship. So the same way that we do this, maybe physically, we do this emotionally and relationally in our relationships with one another. Maybe depending on the kind of relationship you have or the mood you're in or what level of stress you're under or variety of different things. And this is true with uh, parents and kids, with husbands and wives, with people dating, with, with uh, coworkers. So it's in any kind of relationship that we might do this. And so this emotional and relational kind of space might be things like some people are very touchy-feely and other people are, don't like to express themselves so much that way. Some people are really emotional and other people are more withdrawn with their emotions and don't show a lot of emotion. Uh, some people love to talk and share their thoughts and opinions and things about themselves and other people are more reserved. And so everyone's different with how much I want to let you into my space and how much I, I kind of um, want to engage. So the reason for this is we really have two legitimate needs going on at the same time. One of those is for closeness and connection, and one of those is for space and autonomy and independence and kind of doing our own thing. And if you put that on a continuum, you may have people over here that are really like uh, somewhere here in the middle is that balance of I have that need for both and can kind of move in there. And then you go out to the extremes and you'll have people that are Ah, they're kind of hermits, you know, they don't like people at all. And then you have people over here that might, you might, you might call them clingy or needy or, you know, they're, 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 they're very anxious if they're not with someone, you know, at all times. And, and then everything in between. And let's say this is like the healthy middle. So because we're all different and psychologists will say, well, your basic wiring got set before age five. So we carry some of that into adulthood and we tend to attract our mirror opposite, wherever you may fall, 
You know, I was a little more on that distant side, and I attracted a guy who was quite emotional. <laughs> and, um, and I think part of that is because we, 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 some menace wants to be pulled to the middle. And, and sometimes people who are very emotional can, uh, you know, have that desire to be a little more grounded, emotions sweep them away. And other people who uh, maybe like me were, grew up more emotionally constipated are learning how to feel and show emotion and things like that. So it creates, because of that, if my circle is significantly different than, different than your circle, and I need you in this amount of space to just feel connected and close, but your circle's like way out here, what do you think's going to happen? We're going to form this dance where one is pursuing and one is distancing. And the more that you distance, the more I'm going to pursue. And the more I pursue, the more you're going to distance. And we can keep going around in a relationship like that. And uh, this dance can create some interesting things, but here's what can happen. We can get stuck in those role where one's pretty much always the pursuer. No matter what topic you're talking about, I'm pursuing. And the other one's like, uh, moving away. And uh, those, those dance moves are driven often by fear. So here's, so here's the bottom line fears. The bottom line fear of the pursuer is if, well, if I don't pursue, well, there you go. Or if I don't pursue and I turn the other way, are you going to pursue me? Are you going to come after me? Will you notice I even made a move, step, a step back? And the fear of the withdrawer is, if I don't withdraw, you're going to like smother me, engulf me. I'm going to have to think the way you think. And, you know, your emotions are too much for me and I can't handle that. And I'm, I end up losing my sense of who I am. The fear of the pursuer includes, I may lose a piece of who I am because I, I need you to be a somebody. And the withdrawer is, well, I feel more like a somebody when I'm withdrawing and can just collect my own thoughts and be in my own world. And I think we do this same dance with God, where we at times pursue, we at we times withdraw. There's times when we feel like he's pursuing us. There's times when we feel like he's disappeared and withdrawn from us. I know for me, some of my fears at times with God have to do with my perception of God. And as I'm learning to get to know him and trust him and who he is, but my fear sometimes is that he's going to, you know, uh, make me, you know, earlier on, it was like, I was afraid he was going to make me be a missionary in Africa. I was like, that's the last thing I wanted to do was go be a missionary in Africa. And, uh, or that maybe I, my fear was that he was going to make me marry someone I didn't want to marry. Or that I was going to have to like uh, give all my money away. Or I was going to have to um, hang out with groups of people I didn't necessarily want to hang out with or whatever. It was that fear of like, uh, you know, what's he going to do in me? And then other times the fear has been that he's just too far away. And I've had seasons of my life where the, the pain, the suffering, the, the struggle, the, the questions came in in a way where I'm like, do you even exist? Are you there? Uh, is there some sign that you're there? So I think God within himself has this, this interesting and unique and wonderful combination of uh, intimacy and separateness at the very same time. And it's in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit 
all operating as one, intimately one, but very separate, distinct people. And he's got this space within himself that he can be completely intimate and not lose himself. He doesn't have that fear of losing his identity. And that he can ascend Jesus to be human form and, and be separate, so to speak. And that didn't take away from his identity. They're still one. That he could acro- go across time and space like that. So this, this spirit of the Trinity is a, is a spirit that's a dance within the three of them. And it's a, it's a dance with a dance of love. And with every dance, there's like music playing, right? There's music playing. And music is, um, you know, kind of, a, it can be sometimes that background music. You know, psychologists will say that our communication is uh, 70 to 90% somewhere in there nonverbal. Nonverbal, things like our tone of voice. How fast we talk, how slow we talk, how loud we talk, or how quiet we talk, or our body movements, or our smile, or our frown, or that, that thing we do with our forehead when we're, when we're upset. <laughs> that those nonverbal messages are carrying a message, they're carrying emotion behind it. There's a, there's a spirit behind it that we pick up on. And these nonverbal messages are uh, sometimes coming through congruently, like our words match our, our, what we're saying, and sometimes they don't. Sometimes we get a mixed message. If you were to um, come up to me and say, uh, Francis, how's your day? And I were to say, I'm fine. What are you hearing? What if you were to come up and I were to say, I'm fine. And what if I were to say, I'm fine. Or if I were to say, I'm fine. That's for Bill. (laughs) There's there's emotion behind the words. There's a spirit behind my words. It's It's almost like the emotion is the music of the dance. And... That emotion sometimes, in, in, I think, in Christianity gets a bad rap, at least it did in my upbringing. I, I was brought up uh, German, Lutheran, and we sat on our hands in worship, and we didn't express emotion, and it was very logical and analytical and all that, uh, except dad, he got to express anger. That was the one emotion in our family, <laughs> but, maybe humor, but other than that, um, you know, we were, we were pretty cut off emotionally, and you know, on that kind of scale of emotion, you know, I was way over here on this, you know, non-expressive side, and, and God's working on me in that area, you know, I've, I've still got some growing to do, um, but it makes me think about the emotions of Christ, and the emotions of Christ, you know, I think growing up, you know, somewhere in my Lutheran uh, lens of looking at scripture, I thought Jesus was kind of flatline like me, you know, meek and, you know, just kind of always had a calm voice and never really, you know, <laughs> left that. And the more I get to know him, the more I look at scripture, he got angry. He cried with tears and compassion for people. He was able to show love. He was able to walk away from healing someone. He had compassion. He had like this full range of emotion. He had all the like colors of emotion. And if you think about it, each emotion might be like different notes of the song. Like there's different notes of the song being played, the music that's coming through the conversation. If you think about it, like every sentence we say, 
uh, can even take us towards connection or towards distance, even if it's just hello. If you think about it, every sentence we say, the spirit behind the words either takes us towards connection or towards distance. So what is that spirit behind the words? What is that music playing in the background? The Greek word for spirit in scripture is uh, pneuma, and it means breath, the spirit or creative force of a person, the breath. Breath, it's like words that comes out. In 2 Timothy 1.7, it says this, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So that spirit, not a spirit of fear, that's not the one he gave you. He's giving us the spirit of love. And maybe you've heard this little acronym for fear, F-E-A-R, that spells false events appearing real. False events appearing real sounds like a lie. And I think that spirit is also like, it's either the spirit of lies or a spirit of truth. So there's either the spirit of fear and lies or the spirit of truth and love. And we, because of where we are in in process, we're in process of this, that we have both our depravity, we have both that spirit of fear and lies, and we have this deeper spirit of love and truth that's our dignity that we're made in God's image with an infinite capacity to love and be loved. 1 John 4.18 says this, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Well, God is that perfected love. And we are in process of being made. We are in process of learning how to take our fears to him and be grounded in his love. So this dance can sometimes be that fear dance. And when it gets disconnected and sour, um, I wanted to give you a few visuals of, well, what would that look like? What would that sound like in a relationship? What's that music playing that we're listening to in a conversation? So here's, here's three examples of what it could look like. Look like. So, um, how do you like Cheers? Well, it seems adequate for its purpose, but I have a feeling that you only brought me to this place to surround yourself with people you know and I don't. Well, yes. But what's more, I thought that we might have a drink or two, thereby lowering our inhibitions a bit and enabling us to go back to your place and have a physical encounter of some sort. Well, we won't. I appreciate your candor. No, you don't. You're right. I feel like striking you. Your attempt at machismo is totally inadequate. You can't even make eye contact. I could look at you if I wanted to. But frankly, I've grown tired of counting the comb marks in your hair. I'm going to go do the dishes. Cool. It'd be nice if you helped me. No problem. Uh, get them a little bit later. I'm just going to hit the streets there for a little bit. Gary, come on. I don't want to do them later. Let's just do them now. Take 15 minutes. Oh, honey, I am so exhausted. I just honestly want to relax for a little bit. If I could just sit here... Let my food digest and just try to enjoy the quiet for a little bit. Get some, get some, get some. That's what happens. And we will clean the dishes tomorrow. You know, I don't like waking up to a dirty kitchen. Who cares? I care, all right? I care. I busted my ass all day cleaning this house and then cooking that meal, and I work today. It would be nice if you said thank you and helped me with the dishes.
fine. I'll help you do the damn dishes. Oh, come on. You know what? No, that's, see, that's not what I want. You just said that you want me to help you do the dishes. I want you to want to do the dishes. Why would I want to do dishes? Why? See, that's my whole point. Let me see if I'm following this. Okay? Are you telling me that you're upset because I don't have a strong desire to clean dishes? No, I'm upset because you don't have a strong desire to offer to do the dishes. I just did. After I asked you. Jesus, Brooke, you're acting crazy again. Don't you call me crazy. I am not crazy. I didn't call you crazy. I didn't did. call you crazy. No, I didn't. I said you're acting crazy. You know what, Gary? I asked you to do one thing today, one very simple thing, to bring me 12 lemons, and you brought me three. God damn it. If I knew that it was going to be this much trouble, I would have brought home 24 lemons. Even 100 lemons. You know what I wish? I wish everyone that was at that goddamn table had their own little private bag of lemons. Gary, it's not that? about the lemons. Well, that's all you're talking about. I'm just saying it's, it'd be nice if you did things that I asked. It would be even nicer if you did things without me having to ask you. No, you're not listening. I said no cupcakes. And you try to get cupcakes and you try to ask Grandma. Lemon. Didn't you? Linda, lick it. Lick it. Lick it. If you do something right out, just if you, if you get close that chicken, you can get the chicken and burn your butt. What's going to burn your butt? You and Kevin don't listen, so I have to give both of you guys pop pals in your butt. But Linda, but Grandpa's going to give you pop pals in your butt. No, he's not. Yeah. I have to, you want, you don't want me to hit Kevin or you don't want me to spank you? No. Why? Because anybody wants to spank me. And then I have to spank Kevin. But he's my little pop-ups. He's your little pop-ups, but he doesn't listen. But Linda, honey, honey, look at, look at this. Right now, you can't do anything if you can't get everything out of the wall. <laughs> okay, so do you see it? Pursuing and, and withdrawing? Do you see those roles? Do you see the ways that we, we kind of get stuck in this uh, negative loop? So we're going to, excuse me, we're going to break this down a little bit. So uh, this, this slide here comes out of a branch of a model of therapy called Emotionally Focused Therapy, which was started by Sue Johnson. So um, it's a wonderful branch of therapy that's got this model with attachment theory that says our bottom line need is for connection, attachment, love. And uh, what happens when our fear kicks in and what happens when we're not feeling that. So this diagram came from Scott Woolley and it's a picture of kind of what you just saw in those, in those video clips. So the pursuer over here, you notice how it starts kind of quiet like Jennifer and you know, like uh, on the Lilith on the cheers. It may start a little calm. But it sends this, as, as things are not uh, being responded to, these bids for attention, these, these bids for help, if they're not being responded to and that person is in that withdrawal, they up the ante. You get louder, you get a little more demanding, you get critical, maybe have some contempt for the other person. And it sparks something when it goes down that loop in the gut of the other person that goes, uh-oh, this is not good. This is trouble. We're headed for, we're headed down this slippery slope. Something in their gut, it feels like a threat. And that primary emotion that is, that is there is often fear. And as you move up around the loop, that dotted line, by the way, is think of it like a water line. What we see in those video clips is above the water line. What we don't see in those video, video clips is what's below the water line. So that primary emotion is often fear. 
Secondary emotion is just simply, you know, uh, the one you don't see, but it's really powered by the one underneath it. It's a secondary emotion, and it's uh, often irritation or anger or frustration or, you know, something you might see on the surface, but it's fueled by something else. And then our interpretations are things like, you're crazy, you're high maintenance, you're needy, you're, you're uh, controlling, you're a jerk, you're, you're, you know, all these labels that we come up with. Or it might be interpretations about myself. I'm not good enough, I'm a failure, I'm not adequate, I'm not valued, I'm not loved. And then, in a nanosecond, our behavior comes back. Like when Vince Vaughn threw down the, the game, fine throws down his, his game and starts coming into the kitchen and our behavior then triggers something in the other person's gut. Uh-oh, this is not what I wanted. I wanted you to want to do dishes. And it triggers something and then a nanosecond, you go through your, your own cycle. And pretty soon, that thing's going so fast, you, it's hard to know how to stop it. So, does anybody here know what the word devil actually means? And Peter can't answer. Anybody know what the word devil means? It means the accuser, the slanderer. Which, I looked it up, you know, just kind of uh, Webster's definition. And it says, the action or crime of making a false spoken statement damaging to a person's reputation. Sounds to me like those things like, you're a failure, you're controlling, you're crazy, you're manipulator, you're unwanted, you're invisible, those kinds of things. And when we tell ourselves that, or we tell ourselves that about other people, it's like we're joining the spirit of the enemy. Matthew 15:18 says this, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. And then Romans 2:15 says this, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bearing witness. And their conflicting thoughts, either accusing or even excusing them. Like we, we accuse, we attack, we blame, we shame, we, we have contempt, we have criticism, or we excuse, we defend, we stonewall, we, we withdraw, we walk off, we excuse ourselves. Galatians 6, 7 says this, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Like what I sow ends up coming back to me. There's this, there's this loop of uh, what, the energy that I send out often comes back negative in the same way. And then I might up the ante and they up the ante. And it's this power struggle that we get in. Job 3.25 says, For the thing that I fear comes upon me, and what I dread befalls me. The very thing I don't want is like, like I, I'm getting, like that's not what I wanted, and yet I'm doing things to, that help create that. I've found that, you know, when I've, when, sometimes when I've had this fear of rejection, I've found that sometimes we'll do a number of things when I'm afraid of rejection. Sometimes I'll be like uh, too nice, I'll try too hard, I'll people please. And when I do that, it's kind of a turn off and people like keep their distance and reject. Or I might just avoid you altogether, thinking, uh, well, I won't even give the relationship a chance and I'll just like keep a safe distance. And so, well, that's, that's like, uh, I'm gonna beat you to the punch. And um, sometimes I'll, I might reject myself first. 
by say, putting myself down, like, oh, I'm not very good at that, or I'm so stupid, or, you know, or, you know, kind of put myself down. That way it's like I've just given you permission to reject me, and at least it feels like I'm in control because I said it first. Uh, or it might be that I'm so afraid that I sabotage. I might act in ways that actually bring about the very thing that I'm afraid of, that I'm messing up the relationship. So um, sometimes uh, Bill and I have gotten into this negative dance, and really, I'm, I guarantee you everybody here does, so don't feel like some of us are getting it and some aren't. We all, we all have it. <laughs> but, but, you know, I'd lose track. I don't know what the topic's about, but I remember two different times, uh, once where I was pursuing and once where I was distancing, and, and uh, one time when I don't remember the argument, but somehow, you know, I can be wordy at times and, you know, say too much and raise my volume at times. And Bill was done. He was done talking. And I think we had this conversation that was, we had this, like, you know, kitchen island and it was like going around the island and, and we're doing this, you know, literally, physically even. <laughs> and he, he's, he's not talking and I've I'm, I'm got more to say, you know. <laughs> <laughs> to convince him to think how I think. And, and he eventually, like, uh, he's like, I'm done. And he goes out to the uh, deck. We live in a condo downtown. It's small. It's about the only place to go. So he goes out on the deck, and I march after him <laughs> on the deck. And now he's in the corner of the deck, and there's really nowhere else to go other than jumping off, <laughs> which he might have wanted to do, this crazy woman. <laughs> and um, so I, I go in there, and I'm like, got him cornered. I'm like, got him cornered. So I, and, and he's still, he won't look at me. He's looking around like this. And so I grab his face, and I'm like determined to say, say get my say in there. I grab his face, and he's still doing this. He's still, he, he just will not make eye contact. At that point, I think I started laughing. <laughs> Enough to help us kind of break out of it. And then I remember another time, and again, I, I really lose track of the, the topic, but somehow I was hurt. And I went out on that deck. Like I said, it's the only place to go. And I was there, and, and Bill had tried to maybe like pursue and connect a little bit, and I wasn't having it. It was not my time yet. <laughs> Talk to the hand. And uh, I'm sitting there out the deck in our little table and chairs, and there's a wind, the big glass right beside me, and there's, on the inside, there's a huge plant right there by me that helps kind of protect me from having to look at him through the grass, glass. <laughs> and, and, uh, and then I'm sitting there, and I'm reading or something, and, I, and out of the corner of my eye, I catch Bill's face through the plants with his face <laughs> pressed up against the glass, <laughs> which, which uh, you know, again, kind of brought a little humor. That, that's one of our ways of helping to break out of this negative dance and you know, kind of change the energy behind it. But we can all get into this. We can all get stuck in this negative cycle. So how do we get out of it? You can feel it when you're in it. We can get stuck in this negative cycle with God where I avoid and I won't have anything to do with them. I have a friend who says at times when she's upset with God, uh, she'll say, oh, God and I broke up. We're not speaking to each other. <laughs> Maybe two weeks later or a month, she'll go, oh, we got back together. We're good again. <laughs> you know? I love that. I think it's so honest and genuine. Um, but how do we get below that water line? How do we start having the kind of conversations that really connect us? And, you know, in Psalms it says, I desire truth in the innermost being. And this, this place down here where it says, uh-oh, that's your innermost being. And in that innermost being is some, usually some kind of attachment need. 
I, I want to be close, but I still want to be me. And how can I do both at the same time? I'm, I'm longing to uh, connect, but we're not communicating all that. So this next slide has a different picture. And it's kind of, where does, where does Jesus come into this? Where does all this come into play? And I, I find that, um, you know, in some of my darkest moments, in some of my most difficult, painful times, uh, maybe when nobody was around, or at least nobody could identify with what I was going through, that there was a, you know, some writers might call this the dark night of the soul. When you really just feel like no one gets what I'm going through. And there really is this place of aloneness and where I think the cry of our soul is just like what it says in Romans, Abba, Father, I want my daddy, I want my mommy, can I just have someone hold me? I sometimes have literally curled up in a fetal position on my bed or on the floor and, and I'm just crying out. Romans 8.15 says this, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And in that place, sometimes that fear, you know, of getting too close, I'm going to like lose myself. And yet with him, that's exactly where I find myself. Like when I attach to the Father, when I attach to my heavenly Father, he starts calling me by my true names. The true names like uh, Francis. My name Francis means free. I love that. It means freedom. That's one of the names I attach to and connect with. Uh, he starts saying, you're, you're precious. You're loved. You're valued. You're, you're, uh, I get that you're scared. I get that you're you know, acting in ways that's not really you. I know that's not you. I know that's, that's, you're, that's not needy. You're not the controller. You're, I, know, I see you for who you really are. But he's inviting us into that vulnerable place and bringing the cry of our soul into just his presence. And in his presence is where we really experience the depth of who he is and who we are. So even the times when you might be crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Take it to him and tell him. Go to him and be in his presence. He can handle it. So there was a point where Jesus prayed that we would all be one. And uh, as we each joined this dance, we're all being connected. We're all being attached to one another. And that was his desire. And the, the rhythm of this music, the, the dance of the Spirit, is in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So as we sit in his presence and those attachment needs at that really base level are, are beginning to be melted into uh, his love, that we're finding out who we are and we're in process. And because of that security, we can now just like speak the truth in love. We can be honest about where we are. It's okay to say, I'm afraid. Uh, it's one thing to go through a struggle. It's a one, another thing to go through a struggle alone. And Jesus is saying, I'm here. I'm with you in your suffering. I suffered. I get it. I know, I know what that's like. And out of that place, uh, our emotions start to be 
connected and conform to his emotion so that we have the emotions of Christ, like a full spectrum. Some people, um, you know, like I said on that spectrum, we either have like too much emotion or not enough emotion and we're, we're, we're growing, we're, we're learning, we're being shaped. Some people may go, well, I give myself permission for anger, but I don't give myself permission for tears. That's for sissies. Or I give myself permission for uh, tears, but I don't give myself permission for anger because that's kind of like, er, dictator, you know, bossy, you know, <laughs> you know, stuff. But he's wanting the whole spectrum of color of emotion that he's shaping so that we can do what Romans 12 says. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Admit our own fears when other people are afraid. Say, I get angry too and I, I lose my temper. And then our interpretations, this place where, where the accuser loves to kind of mm, throw in those lies, that we can start to have the mind of Christ. And the mind of Christ is that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, not for me and not for you. That uh, the way I think about myself, the way I think about you can take a new shape of what I tell myself. Second Corinthians says, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And it also says we have the mind of Christ. We already have the mind of Christ. But if, if we're not attached to him, we're not going to know the mind of Christ. We're just going to get stuck in our own. And then our actions and behaviors can be more like speaking the truth in love. And that truth may include even my own humanness, my own flaws, my own mistakes, my own vulnerabilities, my own fears. And I can speak that in truth. And I can, I can still be loving at the same time and hear theirs. And we can communicate below that waterline and attach to one another. Proverbs uh, eleven twenty five says, Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. So now we have this positive loop that can go back and forth. And it's, it's a dance. It's a flow of the spirit. It's a flow of, of love that is, is uh, flowing between people in, in his body. Isaiah 55 says, uh, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. My word, my breath, my spirit will be sent out. And what's that music playing behind my words, my tone of voice, that, that, uh, that invisible piece? In the, in the mental health field, uh, they often, when we look for what, what does health look like, we're looking for congruence. And congruence means my identity matches my words, matches my thoughts, matches my behavior, like congruence. And when it's not congruent, something feels off, you know, we, we don't, it doesn't, something doesn't line up and that's what people are picking up on around us. So what might this positive dance look like? So I have a few examples of maybe of what the positive dance might look like. So take a look. I love 
that you get cold when it's 71 degrees out. I love that it takes you an hour and a half to order a sandwich. I love that you get a little crinkle above your nose when you're looking at me like I'm nuts. I love that after I spend a day with you, I can still smell your perfume on my clothes. And I love that you are the last person I want to talk to before I go to sleep at night. I came here tonight because when you realize you want to spend the rest of your life with somebody, you want the rest of your life to start as soon as possible. Hear this now. I will always come for you. But how can you be sure? This is true love. I hate the way you're always right. I hate it when you lie. I hate it when you make me laugh. Even worse, when you make me cry. I hate it when you're not around and the fact that you didn't call. But mostly I hate the way I don't hate you. Not even close. Not even a little bit. Not even at all. If that plane leaves the ground and you're not with him, you'll regret it. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but soon and for the rest of your life. But what about us? We'll always have Paris. Now, now. He's looking at you, kid. I realize this comes at a very inopportune time, but I really have this gigantic favor to ask of you. Choose me. Marry me. Let me make you happy. And don't forget, I'm also just a girl standing in front of a boy asking him to love her. You complete me. I'm not just had shut up. Just shut up. You had me at hello. You had me at hello. Do you hear the music playing? Do you hear the spirit of the words? Do you hear what's different than that first set of clips? What's different? Softer, slower, vulnerability, the emotion that's being shared, and people are connecting, attaching, they're loving, they're learning to be loved. Um, when Bill and I were first dating, the first time he asked me out, I actually said no. So months later, when I heard kind of the behind the scenes story, and he'd shared, like his famous line to me was, you had me at no. So he was like, game on, okay? So, <laughs> so, um, so my prayer is that every time we feel rejected or lost or alone or blamed or criticized, silenced, shamed, that we run back to our primary attachment, which is the God who loves you unconditionally and calls you by your real name. And that when in that experience that we can slow down our conversations and hear the sour notes when they come our way and be curious about it rather than triggered by it. That we can recognize the enemy when he sees those lies in a, about ourselves or other people. That we can turn down the volume of the music a bit. That we can assure each other, like, hey, I'm here, we'll get through this. You know, I know this is tough and we'll get through this, I'm not going anywhere. Or it's okay to have a little space. Sometimes when Bill and I have had a conflict and I, I just have this 
thing where I like to have to like go, so you still like me? <laughs> I just need that little reassurance, so you still like me? Um, so Michael Hanna plays piano up here at times, and I had him help me with this piece. And just to help continue to um, send this message about the music playing and the music in our conversations, I had him play a familiar song. You'll recognize it probably. And all I want you to do, I'm going to hear it play it in different ways, and, and I want you to just listen to what emotion does it bring up for you? What do you, what do you feel when you hear this music? So, Ben, go ahead, or Glenn. What emotion? You can, you can yell it out. Could be different for different people. Love? Compassion? Content. Content? Sunday school. Sunday school. <laughs> Last night Peter said flannel graph. <laughs> yeah, okay, so the, this next segment I want you to listen. It sounds very similar to the first one, but I want you to listen very carefully, see what you notice. Forgiveness. What else? Brokenness. Brokenness. Distance. Dissonance. Struggle. Uh, who said dissonance? Someone said dissonance. Did y'all, did y'all hear the dissonance? Well, did you hear that, that sour note in there where it was a little off? So you've been in a conversation and you think you're like doing fine. All of a sudden there's this like sour tone that comes through. Do you hear it? Can you listen to it? And maybe just be curious rather than, what the heck? (laughs) Okay, so next one. Worship in Transylvania. <laughs> sure, what else? Tension. Tension? What was that? I couldn't hear it. Doom. doom. Oh, doom. Yeah, hear doom? You ever, you, ever heard, you ever heard people's tone of voice that sounds like, like that? Yeah, sometimes I've been that. <laughs> okay, and then the next one. What do you hear? Right, fear. Yeah. Frustration. Alone. So he said, yeah, yeah. Okay, and then on the last one. Preservation? Resignation. Resig- oh, resignation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
So can we hear the, the spirit of the dance, the spirit of the music in our conversations with each other? And can we listen to that and be attuned, be in tune with that and, and hear, our, hear our own? <coughs> At the cross is where Jesus was at the time just swirling with people around him in fear and control and power and you know the the spirit of fear just took over and uh, crucified him and yet at that very place is where he gave us the very thing we need which is the greatest power of all which is the power of love the power of vulnerability in laying down his life and opening himself up to all the the emotion of the sin of the world and, and becoming vulnerable and taking on those wounds, taking on those deep places of cries that we all have. And in that place, when he said, my, when he said my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And uh, experienced some of what we experience, that separation, that deep, deep cry of the soul of wanting to be attached, wanting to be connected, just please don't leave me alone in this. That he says, I'm here. And he says, I'm with you as well. In James 4, it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So there's a phrase that we sometimes use in counseling and says this, the strongest presence in the room wins. And that doesn't mean the loudest. It means the one that's grounded, the one that's that truth in love, the one that's that presence that kind of wins out over all that other energy. It's that spirit of the dance, the Holy Spirit. So at communion today, in coming to communion, we're saying, we're saying this. We're saying, God, I desperately need to be connected to you. I, I want that attachment. I want to be connected to you in a way that you can tell me who I am. And I can bring my fears and my vulnerability to you. And, and in doing so, I, I want to have emotions like what you have. I, I know I'm off kilter somewhere. And that I want to like bring the lies that I tell myself and, and about other people. And I want you to change those into your truth. And I want to learn how to dance. I want to learn how to speak the truth in love. So when you come to the table, come and join the dance. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it saying, take heat, this is my body broken for you, vulnerable for you. And he took the cup and he poured it saying, this is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink of it. So Jesus is inviting you to the table to be united in a dance with him. And at the very same time, you find out who you more truly are than ever before. So come to the table and join the dance. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed to us in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. So when we're in that presence, we can 
give a different presence to those around us. You know, one of a recent argument that Bill and I had, and you know, it's just one of those like quick, <laughs> and, and, and uh, we were getting ready dinner and we had each had a glass of wine and I lifted the glass of wine and I said, here, let's kiss and make up. And he said, in his Boston Italian voice, he said, argument, that was an argument, that was foreplay. <laughs> He was able to be a presence, and, and uh, so we, we want to be in his presence so we can be a presence, and, and that just means, you know, a lot of us, we don't need to be fixed. We just need to someone come and hold our hand or give us a hug and say, I'm scared too, and I, I get what you're feeling, and, and share our own and be vulnerable and, and be attached, and as we do that in the body, we're invited into his dance one by one, and, and imagine the body doing that, this flow of the spirit through the whole body. It would be a presence around the world that would win.